Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Poddywood. I am your... I have ruined tonight's dinner, and I feel absolutely miserable co-host, Steve Hester. And joining me, as always, is... That'll be me, Andrew Roger Carson. I'm back. I'm growing my producer's beard. I've been very busy over the last couple of weeks. We apologise. We didn't bring you an episode last week. We couldn't be asked, really. But no, yeah. that's not the truth. We were just all extremely busy. Everything was going on. So uh, we decided to just take a week off, recharge our batteries. I look like shit because I just obviously haven't shaved in days. And uh, we have a jam-packed show for you today. We've got some of the usual, some of the new, but joining us all the way from New York City. Hello, we have the one and only Mr. Jonas Barnes. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. I think it's funny that Andrew's talking about having like this producer's beard while you have, while Steve is over here having a full beard. I've got a full goatee, and you just look like you've been up solving a murder. So like yours is fine. Like <laughs> yes, yeah. You don't have to worry about for the role of Shaggy in the new Velma cartoon or something. Right. <laughs> a little bit of bum fluff going on. I saw a Hard Times article that said the creators of the new Velma series promised that Scooby Doo will be in season two, showing full cock and balls. So oh, just God. as far as everybody that's concerned about Velma not having Scooby-Doo in it, uh, you know, that's what you get to look forward to based off the hard times. So, yeah. Oh, Scooby, don't, please. <laughs> just no. Sponsored by Revlon. Oh. So yeah, um, yeah, well, we left off a couple of weeks ago with uh, What's in the Box, of course. Steve was kind of hoping we'd forget about it because we we are still... In the rotten movies, because Steve cannot get one answer right any week to actually get a certified fresh movie, screwing up our Tom Cruise question from last week on what his real name was. I I didn't know, and I still maintain in my head when you said, what is Tom Cruise's real name? I honestly thought, what is Tom Hanks's real name? That is why I give that weird Simpsons Autumn Shank callback. Yeah. Just made me sound like a complete idiot. I just, I just assume that Tom Cruise is the real life Alan Smith. Like that's what I'm figuring. <laughs> <laughs> Expels all of his shit movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Success. Like, so didn't you do the mummy? He's like, shut up. I never did that movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> never the Titans wouldn't let me. <laughs> it was just deleted scenes from Edge of Tomorrow. It wasn't even a movie. <laughs> but uh yes. He landed on the uh, Bruce Willis movie, The Cold Light of Day, yes. uh, which was criminally low. I think, wasn't it our lowest rated movie at 5%? Yeah. Although, actually, four? I think it was four. I think you said it was four. Percent. four. It was below The Legend of Hercules, which takes some beating on this show. Steve. Especially uh, for the cast. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Steve. Reintroduce us to the cold light of day. Okay, well, the cold light of day is, uh, like you say, in terms of the cast, got a great cast. You've got uh, Sigourney Weaver. Uh, at the time of this, just a one or two years removed from Avatar. Uh, you've got Bruce Willis, who at the time was only just a few years removed from the likes of Red, where he put in quite a decent amount of effort you've got Henry only Cavill. one movie after die <laughs> good day to die hard i will yeah that was the year <laughs> after though was it that was the year after i looked up about this because henry cavill plays the lead in this movie as well and i was 
wanted to see round about what time this was in relation to Man of Steel, which is probably where he got his break. I know he'd been working steadily in things like the Tudors for years, but that Man of Steel was his proper big movie explosion. And the story, and I need to bring up IMDb. I know you hate it, but I just need to look at the character names because I've completely forgotten that's how much of an impact this bloody film made on me. You've got Henry Cavill plays Bruce Millis's son, Will. Bruce Will Willis, Willis. Plays, a, plays a man called Martin. And Sigourney Weaver plays someone called Carrick. And the plot basically is that... Uh, Will comes to a lovely family retreat in the Mediterranean. Uh, he finds out that his job is now all up in the air. His company's gone bankrupt. He goes to shore, comes back, and finds that the boat that his family on have gone. And then when he manages to track down the boat, his family's been kidnapped. It turns out that his dad was working for the CIA. Now, following on from that, there's all kinds of shenanigans with a MacGuffin, which is just a suitcase. And there's many different people that want to get hold of it. You've got people holding his family for hostage. You've got the mysterious Sigourney Weaver, who apparently may be a good guy. We don't really know at this point. And the whole thing has this set up for what could be a really interesting thriller. It is not a really interesting thriller. Is it worth the 4%? I don't think so. I think 4% is a little bit harsh, to be perfectly honest, because there is a lot of it which is bad. The pacing is bad. The effects, particularly when it comes to the stunt work with some horrible rear projection, is terrible. The uh, day for night shots look appalling. Like, just the worst possible kind of renders you could expect on it. The plot itself holds some kind of merit, but things are kind of introduced and then immediately discarded. Like with Will's company going under, you expect that to then maybe tie in at some point at the end. After all, that was such a heavy moment at the beginning of the film. Nothing. Uh, there's a moment later on where he meets a woman, and I just need to double check the names here again, called Lucia, or Lucia, if you're <laughs> going to be talking with the proper Spanish pronunciation. And um, it turns out that he is, that he is her half-brother. Because Willis was a naughty boy and had himself another family, which then made me absolutely piss myself when Colin Meany shows up at the end, fresh from a Star Trek convention, and says how Willis's character was an honest man. Yeah, dude, why did he even show up at the end? Like, he just, like, that wasn't it. Him. Yeah, dude, they paid him scale for like two hours. <laughs> they were just like, here you go. Like, <laughs> Like I said, he must have been around the corner or something. There must have been like a local convention in Spain. He was there signing autographs and the director just went, uh, excuse me, can you uh, possibly come and uh, and uh, be in my film? He just went, all right there, pal. Yes, you're really not. I reckon he was on vacation or he has a house there that they have used and it's been an exchange of, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll feature you in the movie, maybe a little cameo at the end, anything like that. Help us out, Colm. Help us out. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to go off on a slight tangent because we've got enough to rip the film apart. And looking at when this was released, it was released in 2012. Uh, and 
like I said, year after that, you had A Good Day to Die Hard, which is by far and away the worst Die Hard film of all. Um, and it's it was around about... The, the title of the movie was two paragraphs long. That's probably why it was the worst one. <laughs> well, you got Live Free and Die Hard. That, w- that was almost <laughs> as long, wasn't it? Yeah, like, why? <laughs> um, but I think it was around about this time that he must have got his diagnosis of uh and I looked up I looked up the illness it's called aphasia and mm-hmm. it's basically it, it it kind of affects your speech and uh and parts to do with memory so I'm thinking around about this time he must have got the diagnosis because Willis is actually putting in I wouldn't say an excessive amount of effort but he's putting in a little bit more effort than he does in all the later geezer teaser Mini Emmett Furler movies. <laughs> yeah. The the horrible ones which just go straight to streaming now or straight to DVD as they used to be. So I think it must have been around about this time that you got that diagnosis. Well, I think post-diagnosis, Bruce Willis started to do the Danny Trejo thing where it was just like, we're just going to put you in a movie. You'll be in it for like five minutes and yeah. we're going to put your face on the cover. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be the selling point. So you like that's what it's going to be. Whereas this one, he actually was acting for the majority of, you know, at least the first half of the movie. Yeah. And, like, I think he was actually acting in this one. Whereas the a lot of the ones in the later time, like, you know, after 2012. Yeah, because I think shortly after this, he got fired or, or at least was stopped from being part of The Expendables 3 because he had a falling out with Stallone over the amount of work that he was willing to do versus how much he wanted to get paid for it. So I think it was right. the timeline kind of, the timeline lines up. Um, but the one thing which kept, the one thing which kept bugging me throughout this entire film was it felt like it was a movie that had been made by someone that was trying to ape a Western film without quite understanding what it actually took to make a Western film. There's All a very the kind of born, bornish vibe to it, I found. Yeah, it, there is that born vibe, but it's like someone trying to be born without knowing what, how that film worked. Because you've got some quite nice stunts. Yeah. Like the, the scene where he's trying to jump off the building and he's swinging on a cable that's part of a, uh, a satellite dish on the roof. That was, was quite well done. Um, but the pacing is off, and there's I, 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 there's moments when he he gets shot and he gets taken into a nightclub, and all of a sudden there's all these people around talking Spanish, and you, you I never really had any kind of idea of who they were or why they were there or why they were helping or why one of them was doing like gymnastic maneuvers. I thought it was a theater that they were in. Turns out it's a nightclub. I didn't. I didn't realize any of that shit until they broke into Cirque du Soleil. Like just like yeah. what happened. <laughs> Bruce likes a, it. Come thought on. Thought this was a reggaeton club. Where are we at? <laughs> <laughs> and the the things um, that I kind of took away from this film, and it's the second time that I watched it. I watched it when it first came out and completely forgot about it. But it was in the mix of all that oh, time man. where Bruce was making these movies. That you thought, oh, Bruce Willis has got a new movie out. Oh, Bruce has got a new movie out. You know, <laughs> Cop Out was so far away. You know, Red was so far gone, uh, and you had all of these type of movies. But the movie had um, Caroline Goodall in it, and uh, any movie where Caroline Goodall mm. in it 
is good enough in my book. I think she's absolutely amazing. And when I watched her this week, this was the first time that I realized uh, the writer's name. Steve. Yes. Who, who wrote this movie? Oh, God. I can't remember. I didn't make a note of it. Hold on. Let me fire up my phone again. Tell them prepared, can't you? Yes. Uh, the, the writer was, oh, God. Professionals. <laughs> Scott Wiper. Scott Wiper is my friend. <laughs> and John Petra. Oh, shit. Right. So, In that yes. case, Scott Wiper is one of my friends questions. who is coming on to the show soon. Uh, he also directed uh, The Condemned with Stone Cold Steve Austin and uh, a bunch of other movies that he's done as well. Uh, and, you know, he, he's written a lot of action movies like uh, The Marine with John Cena, things like that. I don't so, think the problem here is in the script. No, it's not. The script was the strongest part of it. Yeah. I think <laughs> it, it, there's, there are moments where it feels like they were only allowed one take certain things yeah. or they were maybe kind of improvising the dialogue somewhat and it, it, that maybe they only had Bruce for a day a lot of these movies do only have Bruce for like one day coming and record, shoot all of his scenes then he goes home so maybe the Wasn't, schedule had to work around that I'm trying to think now was Bruce in any night and day scenes because he might have just now that I'm thinking about it I think he was only in day scenes unless he was inside because there was a couple of parts where he was inside of a dwelling of some sort, but the rest of the time it, that he was outdoors, it was daytime. So it's possible that that's the case. I don't think the script was the bad part at all. I think the acting in general was the bad part. I don't think anybody that was acting in that movie gave a flying fuck about being in that movie. No. Like, and that's, I mean, that's fine. That happens sometimes, but this feels like a movie that was like, it feels like a movie that was a lower budget action movie. And they knew that going in and they knew that it wasn't going to be a movie that was going to do anything good or bad to their career. It was just going to be a movie that they were in. And they probably made the minimum that they would make on their contract. No. I mean, again, script was fine. Directing was even fine. Like there was the directing was fine for what it was. Um, there was a couple of things that I noticed on it that like, I'm not a filmmaker, but these are things that I notice now when I watch movies, especially because it happens a lot in horror movies. Um, where they'll do the over-the-shoulder shot where somebody is talking. Yeah. And the over-the-shoulder shot is looking at the person that they're talking to. And you can tell by the side of the person's oh, face yeah. that's talking that the, the words standard. are not even close yeah. to matching up. Like, they're just completely off. And that happened a lot in this movie. because, yeah, Like, to the did. point where it was fucking jarring. Like, I was like, dude, he's not even talking. <laughs> like, his mouth isn't even moving. Um, and then, like, like what you were saying, um, you know, there's certain actors that when they show up in a movie, you're like, I'm already in. I'm going to watch that movie. I'm that way with Sigourney Weaver. And I don't know how the fuck she did this movie. <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what they presented her. Like, if she was just on vacation or some shit, and they were like, you want to make a couple thousand dollars? All right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> fine. Because no. I've, I've seen her phone in some performances before just because she's, you know, only in the movie for a short period of time. But this one, like, she didn't give a shit at all. Like, when oh, she got shot, zero when she got shot and about fell this. down, like, that was one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie. Like, she gets shot, and then she falls down. But, like, when she falls down after she got shot, it reminded me of the Irishman. Like, when the dudes were so old and refused to do stunt performers, that whenever they did anything physical, 
like you could for sure tell that they were as old as they are not like with the you know de-aging stuff and like when pacino gets shot in the irishman he falls like he's buffering you know what i mean <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's kind of the way that sigourney weaver did this where she was like oh oh ah, oh, oh and then like falls down so she did the full cook yeah dude it was just like okay like and that happened throughout it and um the other issue that i noticed throughout most of the movie was that the when there was a stunt performer holy shit could you tell it was a stunt performer like (laughs) you could tell one thousand percent that this was a stunt performer like they didn't even try and it's like all of a sudden bruce willis has a full head of hair right it was it was almost almost that obvious you know it's right um, back to the i'm gonna get you sucker mustache stunt double <laughs> it's like <laughs> orgasmo when uh, orgasmo when they do a stunt cock it's just like oh, do you think yeah. you see anything wrong i can see why this got four percent like i can totally see why it got four percent even henry you know henry cavill he could not have given a shit about being in this movie and he was in the whole thing he honestly he, he didn't feel like he was cast right for the part at all he just because, didn't care. No, it, it, his performance was too kind of ah, ah, what's going on all the time. There was no kind of there was no kind of real growth until after he got shot, and even then, he doesn't feel like he's actually formed any kind of plan. He never feels like he's actually going to be able to outwit anybody. Everything right. that he does and everything that advances the plot around him isn't really caused by his actions. It it's it. What what do they call it? He's um. He's not an active protagonist. Things just yeah. are kind of happening to him and he's reacting to it. Yeah, he's just kind of there. Like he's there and he like even when he notices or like something big happens in the script that's supposed to be like a big reveal or a big twist, it's kind of like the way that he he reacts to it is not the way that you would react to something that's a big reveal. Yeah. It's more like, oh, really? Like and then he just fucks off and goes to the next scene. Like there's no just like okay uh you know i and he's not a bad actor like he's actually a good actor like he's one of those dudes that when he's in a movie he's solid like he's not really not a bad actor but he phoned it in in the same way that i think like uh i think like tom hardy did with venom tom hardy basically slept walked right through venom like which is fine the movie sucks and he knew that so he's just like all right well i guess i'm just gonna be in this movie you know and I think that's kind of what Henry Cavill did too, because it's like, okay, budget on this is way less than I'm used to. The money that I'm getting paid for this is way less than I'm used to. Chances are it was probably filmed like probably way before 2012 or whenever it came out. Yeah. I'm assuming it was probably, probably I'm assuming it was probably filmed way before that, but like Bruce's movies going forward, like they get exponentially worse, but only because he's only in them for five minutes. And then, Mm. He goes away. But when Bruce is on screen in this one, when he's actually doing his acting, he's good. He's yeah. still perfectly he's still perfectly fine as Bruce Willis. As old man Bruce Willis, you know. The the, oh. the only real standout in terms of the the main the main cast, I suppose, is uh, she's a Spanish actress. Uh her name is Veronica, and I know that I'm gonna butcher the surname. Echigui? Echiguie? Spell E C H E G U I. Yeah, honestly I'm not do. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um she plays Lucia who's his discovers that uh she's his half sister. And she 
her performance in this seemed to be one of either she just doesn't give a shit or she gives way too much of a shit because no matter what was going on, everything about her performance was ratcheted up to about 120%. Everything was so excitable. And I asked uh, Amanda, my uh, my my partner, <laughs> and, um, yes. and she, li- she lived in Spain for quite some time, and she said that's pretty much the, the Spanish acting style, that kind of really, really yeah. heightened thing and it jars so much she stands out in every single scene that she's in for the wrong reason i wanted that character to be much subtler much played it much more cooler as opposed to everything just being screaming and shouting and exasperation all over the place it, it drove me nuts after a while actually because it, would it be was like, so noticeable it would be like asking sofia vergara to do a quiet dramatic part like it's just like that's ah, not going to happen. Like mm-hmm. it's like that that type of acting is just that's when you think of the Spanish style of acting, that's where I think of somebody like Sofia Vergara because she's great, but like she like that is her like her tone though, like her tone, her volume, her energy, that type of thing. And I've noticed that with a lot of Spanish uh, Spanish female actors specifically, that is something I have noticed, which I don't think is bad, but I think if you put, I think it's actually really good, but if you put it in a movie like this, tonally, it just does not mix. Like it's no. a bad, bad mix. Um, <laughs> this movie, I, that's kind of funny that you don't think it was, you think it was the 4% was harsh because the movie was like, it was bad, bad. Like, yeah, there was, it, you know how movies can bad. be like bad and fun. This was not bad and fun. This was just like, oh, fuck, there's 45 minutes left. It was that kind of bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think know, The Legend like, of Hercules, that was that was fun, bad. Yeah, because you could laugh at that. You, I was watching that just I was howling in hysterics. Not really for this. No, but there was not I, one I, funny part in this whole movie. But I can see more what they were trying to do with this versus what they were trying to do with Hercules. I think that this was this was just it was basically it felt like someone's home movie where they just happened to have a load of money attached to it and were able to get in a few well-known actors. That just felt well, like it. Well, we've got worse examples of that coming up on this week's show, trust me. So the well, I, wanted, today. I, oh. I wanted to mention this because you mentioned The Condemned. The Condemned is the type of movie that I think this wanted to be, where mm. it's a very it's a very common direct-to-video action script that you attach one or two names to, and you can make it good. Like, you can actually make it fun and, like, solid, you know? Okay, well, that's the cold light of day for anyone uh, wanting to go and check it out. I can't imagine why you'd want to after that critical mauling that it's just had. Don't bother. (laughs) Rent rent the Bourne box set. It's the same fucking film. Just watch that. No, we're not going to do... um, We weren't going to do anniversaries this week, but I had to raise something here. When we had Bill Daly on the last episode and we did the anniversaries and he came on specifically to correct us on Kangaroo Jack. (laughs) Uh, of which we learned the infamous story of the fate of movies for February. February is the dumping ground for movies that realistically, they just don't know when to release them. I'm like, oh, we're going to lose money. Let's shit, let's just throw it in February. So now that's alerted me to movies that are now being released in February. 
And this week had some red flags that I had to bring up. So very quickly for an anniversaries round. Can you believe Steve? No. In 1986 this week, the movie Eliminators was released. Yay! <laughs> One of our regular favourites, uh, Patrick Reynolds, came on the show, the mandroid himself, yep. to talk about Eliminators, and it was released in 1986 this week. Also dumped in February the movie Deep Rising was released in Ooh. 1998. And if you recall, uh, if you've been listening to the show long enough, we did the watch-along episode of Deep Rising, which we instantly regretted about yeah. 90 minutes into it. I was like, we've got another 15 minutes of this shit to go? Oh, my God. But yes, uh, Deep Rising, the uh, the one film that seemed to get a mention on every single episode leading up to that watch-along and has never been mentioned again since. Uh, it was you and your constant reference to the most multicultural cast oh yeah. that you could possibly put in a film. It's, it's, it's like the tax credit. The tax think credit of an cast. ethnic <laughs> tick box. There you go. You can just tick them all off. It's like but ethnic bingo. All of those mercenaries in uh, Deep Rising right could all be nominated for best actor and no one would complain no. <laughs> because it covers every ethnicity going um a watch along of deep rising sounds like a mass suicide like it just well, sounds like everybody at the end is just like all right we don't need to be here anymore like we're fine yeah. bring, we me were, the, bring me the flavor aid we've <laughs> only done two two of them but um also 20 years ago this week uh, the movie the recruit directed by Roger Donaldson, oh, starring shit. Al Pacino and Colin Farrell. That's scary to think that is 20 years ago. It does yeah. not feel that long at all. Solid movie, too. Yeah, mm. solid. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> no, I was trying to remember The Recruit. Have I seen The Recruit? And then as soon as you mentioned Al Pacino, I thought, yeah, I have. I've seen that one. It's Colin, yeah. Colin Farrell trying to do his uh, American accent again. Yes, yes. Uh, Ten years ago this week, an awesome movie was released called Warm Bodies. Yes, yes. I know Jonas would have seen this movie. Basically, it is your I have it on Blu-ray. That, that movie fucking rules. Yeah. Your <laughs> zombie Romeo and Juliet movie. Yeah. So in Nicholas Holt, and it's one of those movies that kind of came out of nowhere, and it is fantastic. So that is in the box, by the way. And finally, uh, this week in 1994, a really low-budget movie was released that had a lot of success tapped to it, especially for its director. The movie was called Death Machine. Yeah. And it was uh, the directorial debut of Stephen Norrington, who went on to direct Blade following this. And this movie was made on peanuts. I don't even think this was made on 500,000, right? but it is a really effective splatter movie, horror sci-fi movie with Brad Dourif and this machine that just runs around this building diehard style slaughtering people. And it's still awesome. I watched it again recently, and it's like they really knew what they were doing with this movie. It's an Australian movie as well. And on that note, I want to mention this: um, there was a movie called The Sadness that came out uh, last yes. year, mm. um, and it was from a filmmaker named Rob Jabaz, and he is a guy from. Uh, he's actually from originally from Canada, but he lives in Taiwan. So he's lived in Taiwan for quite some time, and that's where he filmed the movie. 
but he was talking to us on another goddamn horror podcast about certain things that he would do with the filming of the movie to make the budget that he had go farther and also to not waste time so there were certain scenes that were like really involved where it had a lot of people had a lot of things going on at one time um and specifically the scene that i'm talking about if anybody's seen the movie is the train scene so i won't give away anything other than the train scene so he was talking about that scene and we were like dude how did you film that like it's there's so much going on he said well what i did is i filmed both sides of the train at different times so what he did is instead of having it all be in one big thing happening all at one time he would film one part of it that was all this stuff and then film the other part of it that was all this stuff so that if anything got fucked up on either one of those things it was easy to go in and fix like because you didn't have to worry about reapplying the makeup to all these people or reapplying this to all these people so the only parts that he really filmed together were the parts where it was specifically a couple of actors that were interacting with each other because the rest of it's just carnage it's a very carnage filled scene but if you tried to film the whole thing as one big carnage filled scene if even one thing got screwed up the amount of stuff that you would have to reset and everything would be insane like you'd have to reapply the fake blood you'd have to reapply do all these things just to make sure that it would go right so he was looking at a lot of the scenes in the movie like that just because of how involved they were he was like so if i do these things individually and then go into post-production and cut them together as they're supposed to be then we're good that takes away from like you know potential filming times takes away from issues with scheduling like you know there's just lots of little things that it fixes um and i think that applies to a lot of movies you know if you're gonna have to make a budget stretch or make time stretch or like do those things like it just it takes just like sitting back and getting creative about it and being like okay how do i make this work not why doesn't this work how do i make this work you know And I think that I think that that can go a real long way. Well, it's very true. Uh, I did actually watch the sadness. Well, I got through some of it, and then it was like, yeah, this is going to ruin my week. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of a lot, uh, since we did the last episode, uh, I've been busy writing. I'm on four projects at the moment, which is taking up a ridiculous amount of my time and i have spent basically the time with the tv or the big screen on in the background just playing films so i don't feel alone while i'm doing all of this work and i choose not to do it with movies that are critically acclaimed because i actually want to watch them yeah so i've chose to do it with oh what are these just random movies that just pull out put on and and just see what I can come out with like for the show to kind of discuss them. And as soon as I was watching them, I was like, chances are Steve may have seen maybe one or two of these movies. It's <laughs> doubtful. Maybe but I know is. that Jonas will have probably seen all of them. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a purveyor of shit cinema. So, <laughs> yes. So I wanted to kind of go through, I saw 28 movies in a two week stretch. No, oh, Jesus. Well, I say I say so them. I've seen four. They were on. <laughs> I like that he's already like I've seen four of them. We're just gonna get that out of the way. Yeah. You did what I you did what I like to call to be roulette. 
where you just put one movie on Tubi and then you just let Tubi choose the next movie based off of what you just watched. It was just like, all right, all right, Tubi, you're sending me down a weird road, but I'm into it. Let's do this. Well, I know at some point I watched one Demi Moore movie and then suddenly found myself watching three Demi Moore movies in a row. So, yeah, it was kind of on the Tubi style thing. So we start off with a movie called Armed and Dangerous. Starring Eugene Levy, Gene Levy and, John, and Candy. John Candy. I've seen that one. Directed by Mark L. Lester, who also directed Commando, would you believe? Now, Yeah, I would, actually. Yes. This had Meg Ryan before she was big Meg Ryan. Mm-hmm. Right. But it also had your who's who of people you would see in an 80s movie. It's the most 80s oh, God, movie yeah. I've ever seen. To There's the point where even Thomas Tiny Lister is in there. You know, Everybody yeah. in just bit parts. Who've you got? You've got Jonathan Banks. You've got Robert Lozier. Yeah. Um, Robert like Lozier. That's Ellis <laughs> and Robert Lozier. Um, <laughs> God, yeah. There's, there's yeah. so many really... It, it, yeah, it, it, it was amazing. But the one thing that steps out in my mind is where John Candy and Eugene Levy are trying to escape the bad guys and they hide in a sex shop. <laughs> To which mm. Eugene Levy comes out wearing the full gay leather outfit with assless chaps. And you see those eyebrows also go to his gooch. That's <laughs> all I can say. Of course they and, do. Of course then, they do. And then John Candy comes out in a full drag queen, like looking like your aunt from the he 80s. Looks, he looks like Divine on his way to a party. Beautiful. Yes. <laughs> and he even manages to get out a goose sink joke. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, it was. It's one of those things where you look back on any '80s film now and think it's great, and it's mainly because you miss the era and you just want to see loads of '80s stuff. It was not it, high art. It wasn't even really much of a comedy. No, it really isn't. Oh, I'm sorry, the, Eugene Levy in a room full of dildos is not a comedy. <laughs> Come on, like. <laughs> No. <laughs> it, it was it's one of those movies that I remember particularly came on TV in the 90s at about one o'clock in the morning. Yes. Usually on either ITV or Channel 4, one, yeah. of, one of the terrestrial <laughs> channels. ITV and, and couldn't find their night patrol tape. Running Scared. That was another one. Yeah. That were, always seemed to be on all the time at just stupid o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yes. it was, it's all right, film. It wasn't anything brilliant. It's all right. I mean, if, if Asla's Chaps is your thing, you'd probably enjoy it. Like, you know what? I'm one of those people that I will follow Eugene Levy to the moon and back. You put him in anything, and I'm like, I'm fucking into that movie. Like, I don't, even if it's bad, I'm like, I'm going to watch it because I love Eugene Levy. Like, he's, and that is including the really bad American Pie sequels that he just shows up as dad for like two minutes and then he fucks off. Like, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm still like, I'll still give it a chance, you know? Even though his kid isn't even in the movie anymore. No, no. <laughs> Jason Biggs, even if he wasn't getting work, would still be like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm good. That movie is the reason why I don't get any work. I actually, um, I actually watched one of the four four films I watched this this week. Actually, five films um, had Eugene Levy in it. It was uh, Waiting for Guffman. Oh, oh, that's a great movie. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Christopher Guest, uh, one of his, uh, one of his. Uh, you, you guys want to know my my '80s hot take really quick? Go, Go for it. Uh, I cannot remember one movie with Billy Crystal in it that I legitimately loved. Not a single one. <laughs> 
<laughs> like I don't I don't hate his movies by any means, but there is not one Billy Crystal movie where I'm like I fucking love that movie. Not one. I just I have racked my brain on that because people are just like I have a lot of friends, like a lot of filmmaker friends, a lot of like film snob friends that are like, oh yeah, I remember the age of Billy Crystal. I'm like, I don't. Like I literally don't. <laughs> he almost feels like he almost feels like a mirage. Like he just showed up and it's like, is that guy no? Like, yeah, there's not just not one. Kevin Costner in Dragonfly. Underrated. It is underrated. I'd heard so many bad things about this movie. And I was like, this can't be like the new daughter, Kevin Costner. You know, th this has got to be... For some reason, something says I might like this. And it is a slow burner. And, you know, the twist at the end, I didn't see coming. Yeah. You know, uh, and it does keep you guessing. I was actually pretty pretty entertained by dragonfly and i think that movie uh deserves to be so up your yeah. thoughts it's better than decent like it's one of those movies that like it had every right to be really bad and by no means did i think it was going to be an amazing movie but then when you watch it it's just like okay that's like a very watchable movie like it's got everything that it does it does well it doesn't excel but it does it well like the pacing is good the writing is actually pretty solid um and the acting is very good actually like kevin costner does really good in it and also the supporting cast pretty much across the board does really well and like yeah it's it's not one of those movies that i'm gonna scream at the rooftops and be like you've got to go see dragonfly but like also at the same time and be like if it comes on you should watch the movie like it's it's a good movie yeah you know? yeah it lets you pass your time and uh kevin costner you know you're gonna enjoy him even in something like uh Three thousand miles to Graceland. You can still gleam some enjoyment out of Kevin. Yeah, dude, on that movie's yeah. cheesy and fun. Like it's it's bad, but it's cheesy and fun. You know, I will to this day. I will tell people that probably the most underrated, um, immediately dismissed Kevin Costner movie that actually happens to be very good is Mr. Brooks. Oh, I freaking love Mr. Brooks. Dude, Mr. Brooks rules. And people just look at it and they're just like, that doesn't look like it's going to be good at all. And then they watch it and they're like, oh, fuck, it was really good. <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would rank that one highly as one people should say. Even out. Dane Cook is good in that. And he's Dane Cook. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Dane Cook for when Chris, Chris Pratt is not available. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris Pratt is turning into Dane Cook, so I got the he's on his way. <laughs> happening. I, after the surprise of Dragonfly, I had something appalling happen. <laughs> it came time for me to watch Steve Martin's Pink Panther movie. Oh, yeah! Both you sent me a very interesting picture from this, and then put a, and then put a little message attached to it, which I'm not going to say out. No. But no. it has he knows me for life. Yes, he knows. Um, I do not know. Steve Martin really loves the Pink Panther. If he loved it that much, he should never have been Inspector Clouseau. That's all I can say. Uh, you know who I felt. With Oscar season currently here at the moment, the one person who missed out on a biggest Oscar snub ever is Jean Reno for the Pink Panther. Imagine being the only French cast member 
in a movie where everyone is royally ripping the piss out of the French accent, and he has to sit there and take it. With a look on his face like he wants to fire his agent as soon as he gets back. And not only that, obviously being contractually obligated to come back for a second one that is even worse, but also had Alfred Molina in it. <laughs> you guys selling his like, soul. I you guys, don't know, you guys don't know the backstory of this then, apparently. So Jean Renault being in that movie and having to sit there and watch people butcher that accent for that amount of time right in front of his face while he couldn't do anything is actually how he became the professional. So that's actually that that's how that ties in. He became <laughs> that does make sense. No, yeah. um, that's my other hot take is that Steve Martin is uh, fine. Like he's not like as a comedian, he was he was prolific for what he did, but his movies are very hit and miss. Like yeah, more, ev- more basically ev- everything more kind of like after the late 80s you know you look at the beginning you got stuff like the jerk man with two brains dead men don't wear plaid three amigos even it was just like boom 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 oh yes i like the wild and crazy guy and then he started doing those kind of quasi comedy drama things like parenthood and and la story and people were like yeah mm-hmm. they were good but people movies. were like well where's the wild and crazy guy why are you trying to act kind of sensibly you, you kind and of got it, to evolve at some point. Well, you have to. You have to. But then you think... kind of regress into this shit. Speaking of evolution, how has Steve Martin been 65 since puberty? <laughs> I don't know how that happened. <laughs> this this guy seriously does not age. The only time I noticed he was aging, he was in a movie with Claire Danes, uh, Shop Girl, where oh, he's playing yeah. like her love interest. And there's one scene where the lighting just shows that he is wearing excessive makeup on his face mm. and his eyes and stuff. And it's like, oh, yeah, now you look old. Yeah, so that, that lighting was not kind. And I would have fired the guy who did that. But um, in, in watching the Pink Panther movies, I was just I felt so sorry for Kevin Klein, who was smart enough to not return for the second one and be replaced by John Cleese. <laughs> Oh, and, uh, John. <laughs> no. uh, Emily Mortimer I love Emily Mortimer That's, mm-hmm. that was the woman I grew up saying I'm going to marry Emily Mortimer one day yep. um, yeah when Alejandro Nivola disappears <laughs> mysteriously <laughs> in the trunk of my car um, <laughs> Emily Mortimer oh my god she, she is there basically for the sex jokes you know put in these positions literally these positions it's just like, oh my god, what are you doing? The second one you have Andy Garcia, and um, I don't feel any Alfred sorrow Molina. for Andy Garcia because he was in the Ghostbusters reboot, so you know he knows what he's doing. He needed the money. Yeah. Um, and Alfred Molina. The, these movies seem to exist just for people to do that completely puzzled by stupidity take, Ooh. which happens every single person in the movie multiple times as soon as steve martin does something they just look like yep yeah and that is how the movie exists just for them there is no funny jokes they spend a painful two and a half minutes on a joke of, of how steve martin says hamburger in the french accent hamburger yeah. yeah, which is so dumb. There's an American comedian named Hamburger. He already does that. Like, yeah. that's his joke. All right? Leave it alone. 
yeah, I, I don't know how I managed to get through that and the sequel. I, I, I think I went into that sequel really against my will, but it's a case you of know something. I have to see this. You've watched so many films over the last fortnight, and I've only watched a few. But in terms of actual quality, the films which I've watched are overall kicking your films' ass. Well, yeah. I actually feel better about myself at the moment. I'm always going to say I hate shitting on people's movies, but the one thing I hate even more is shitting on people's movies if you haven't actually bothered to watch it yourself. Right? And sometimes you just have to go through this stuff just to see. And there's loads of people out there who have said some of these films are really great, you know, to me and say you should watch it. And then I watch it and think, what the hell have you put me through? And one example of that, and it is not to shit on Pat Proft at all, because I love Pat Proft, and I love mm. David Zucker as well. Um, Jane Austen's Mafia was one of the most mm. painful things I've ever had to watch as a spoof of The Godfather. Painful because it was also Lloyd Bridges' last ever movie. Yeah. And it, that was kind of the segue into those disaster movie, epic movie, meet the Spartans type people that uh, it, it, makes it crime was against the cinema. end of the classic spoof yeah. time frame. It really was. It, it, it was the, the gateway for the younger generation to come in and ruin everything was wide open because the, the I don't know, the jokes weren't there anymore. And the people no. that were trying to keep the old ways alive were just were just missing yeah. far more than they were hitting. So as soon as loaded weapon one passed, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoof. There was nothing left. Spy Hard, apart from the fantastic Weird Al Yankovic opening number, was a painful slog to get through. Yeah. And every movie after that, including the movie that came after Jane Austen's Mafia. By the way, Dracula Dead and Loving It is actually a very good spoof. I have an amazing story to tell you about that. Um, because uh, Robert Brown, a producer that I know, was one of the producers on that and said it was one of the most fun experiences they ever had in doing a film. Dude, it's, and, it's such a fun movie. And, and the, the stake through the heart scene where they did not tell that actor the force of that blood that was going to come out. Oh, the him. blood geyser? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, do it again. No, I think she's dead. No, yeah. let's be sure. Do it again. <laughs> and that also, again. the uh, the actress in there, Amy Yazbek, she was one of my, like, straight up one of my favorite actresses during that time period. Um, absolutely loved it. When she showed up, I was like, fuck yeah. Like, I was so happy <laughs> about it. <laughs> I don't know, Amy. I'm going to have to get Amy on the show. I'm going to have to ask her. She's just got to have some fantastic stories. Especially yeah, about John Ritter. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. I do miss John Ritter. So that was painful. <clears throat> uh, step up here. Uh, in 1999, uh, we had a movie called Body Shots, and that was the next movie on the list, which was from New Line Cinema. And Sounds it's very of, familiar. Yeah, it had every indie star and Jerry O'Connell. Uh, so you had <laughs> Tara ta- ta- Reid. <laughs> Every indie star and Jerry O'Connell. Yeah, yeah. Tara Reid before she made her career fighting sharks, uh, and <laughs> you know her tits falling out. Uh, made a career doing that. I feel like yeah. that was after the career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Amanda Pete. You had 
you know, a, a load of the indie stars of the day. And it's the story of Tara Reid claiming that Jerry O'Connell raped her on this uh, after this night out. And it then becomes a whole thing of like, is she telling the truth? Is Jerry O'Connell telling the truth? And it's all done in a very Ferris Bueller style way where, you know, the cast would suddenly start talking to the camera and, you know, and, and giving their thoughts on it. And it's very bizarrely done. Uh, Tara Reid only appeared to actually go naked in this movie, which is the only movie she has agreed to be naked in. Uh, because of it fit the the actual rape scene on the character. Sure. Um, Is this a comedy or a drama? It's a drama. Right. It's very. Okay. It's very. There was a lot of movies that came out around that day, like Two Hundred Cigarettes and mm. uh, Last Days of Disco, and all of these movies where it was this Generation X actors all kind of being compiled together in these types of movies. And Body Shots was. A really interesting movie, but the ending is so bloody frustrating because you're building up and building up, and then you're left on a question. Uh, you are left on, hang on, so what actually did happen? You got to be was, real careful with those endings. Yes, it's it's what we call the devil inside ending. Oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, the blue balls. oh come on. Oh, yeah. Why would you do that? Now I got to remember that that movie exists. Damn it. You know what? I will say this about body shots, though. I'm glad that you said it was done in a Ferris Bueller style, as opposed to like a welcome, uh, as opposed to a Weekend at Bernie style, because that would be a completely different ending. Like it was Jerry O'Connell; he fucked a corpse the whole time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, you know, where's your career now, Jerry? <laughs> You're going to be the worst part of Scream Two. Um, so. Those types of movies also, when you said like 200 cigarettes, that reminds me of something that I do have to tell you guys. I just got a 4K um, a 4K copy of a movie that I had been waiting to get for so long and Vinegar Syndrome finally dropped it and I was so happy and that's Freeway. Oh, Kiefer Sutherland and Reese Witherspoon. I yeah. love that movie. Kiefer Sutherland, Reese Witherspoon and Natasha Leone. Yes. And also a guy who shows up, and whenever he shows up in a movie, he makes that movie better, Bokeem Woodbine. Yes. I Bokeem. saw a post the other day where it's like, this dude's been in so many movies and yes. no one knows his name. And I get I so pissed. Say, well, I'm like, dude, I saw it on Reddit. Dude, yeah. I get mad. I'm like, put respect on Bokeem's name, man. Every time, <laughs> every time he shows up in the movie, it's a better movie because he's in it. Even if he's only in it for 10 minutes, he like, fucking like whatever it is that he does to his part. He couldn't he save 3000 miles to Graceland though. Could he? <laughs> no, he doesn't Christ. save it, but <laughs> he made it better. Yeah. Black guy yeah. dies first. Yeah. I remember him in, uh, also known big... as horror. <laughs> yeah. he, he was one of the best characters in the big hit. Which is the movie of mm -hmm. Mark Wahlberg and right. uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips owned that movie. Yep. He was hilarious in it in a way that you would not expect Lou Diamond Phillips to be hilarious and completely off the chain. But um, yeah, Bokeem Woodbine is basically like addicted to porn. And every other scene, you just see him there on Antonio Sabato's couch whacking one out. <laughs> Some porn yeah. that he's rented from the store. <laughs> but, you know, That's not a like, shock. Yeah. <laughs> he's also. 
he's also a dude you hand him a script and he's like i don't even need to read it i'll do it that's cool like he fucking he doesn't even care he, you know also i think when people look at him the reason that they don't recognize him is because his entire face is forrest whitaker eyes you know what i mean like he has like he kind of has that that whole look where everybody's just like i've seen this guy before but i don't know exactly where like his face is very not symmetrical I love that one guy, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's all faces for his wicker eyes. <laughs> it's because you're thinking about it, you know I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'll be interested now to see if, if he shows up in any of these other movies on the list. <laughs> Moving on from there. Uh real serious movie, oh, a movie Jesus. called Ghosts of Mississippi. I know that uh, movie too. Yeah, we starred uh, Alec Baldwin, uh, Whoopi My- Goldberg, James Woods in an Oscar-nominated role. And this is a movie that kind of gets forgotten about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of those Deep South movies based on a true story where James Woods' character uh, basically shot a, civ- a black civil rights worker. He was obviously a member of the Klan. Uh, it's very racial tension because obviously it's down in Mississippi. And Whoopi Goldberg uh, is the guy's wife who got shot. And she is campaigning for like 20 years to get justice and have this retrial because it was a very, you know, racist time uh, when the original trial went out. And it practically got thrown out of court. So Alec Baldwin, uh, like 20 years later, I think it is, uh, suddenly shows up and says, I'm going to take on this case, much to the annoyance of my wife, Virginia Madsen, who just seems annoyed about everything in every movie that she's in nowadays. And um, yeah, it's a true story of, you know, trying to take down James Woods in court, who is in the old age makeup. And James Woods is spectacular in this movie. Pure, like, evil. The, the confidence he comes out with his um, racism and his character is really, really eye-catching. Almost like it's real. Almost <laughs> like it is real. He I hate the James. Him. I hate the James Woods is a good actor. I do. He's a very, very, very good actor, and he's a miserable piece of shit as a person. Like just yes. the worst. And every time I see him in a movie, I'm like, "Fuck, he's still good." Like every time, too. Yeah, yeah. You like you listen to him in uh, Disney's Hercules, and you're like, "Shit." Oh, I know. <laughs> there was a movie I saw him do uh, where he played. Uh, it was a true story, and he played. Carl Panzeram, and it's called Killer, A Journal of Murder. Mm. And it was a true story of, you know, he was just a, a really... Carl Panzeram was vicious. Yeah. He was he was probably one of the worst serial killers of all time. And I won't go off on this because we won't have the time, but I will say that the reason that he was one of the nastiest serial killers of all time is because he was truly one of the ones that hated humanity. Like he yeah. didn't, it wasn't just that he had a thing against women or a thing against gays or a thing against, you know, minorities or whatever. Like he straight up fucking hated people. Like yes. he did not want people to exist. So his entire motive for killing people is I just don't want you to be alive. Like it just, yeah. he was the worst person. Do you want to know something? That is probably more kind of honest in a way. It is. It, it, it's like it, it just applies to everyone. You know, I don't care if you're what kind Young, of gender old, you are. Young, old, male, female, it yeah. doesn't matter. 
Nope. Yeah. And he also, and that's also why he didn't have an MO. He literally would just kill indiscriminately. And then when they put him in prison, they were like, no, you better keep me here because I'll go out and kill more people. They're like, you're like not helping yourself, dude. He's like, I don't give a fuck. I'll kill more people. Like, <laughs> he was so angry. Well, I'll I tell you what. I mean, Ghost of Mississippi is a great movie. And um, I believe it was from Castle Rock and released through Warner Brothers. Even Bill said it was a great movie. Um, Killer of General and Murder is even better if you can find it. It's very hard to find. But James Woods has this one scene that I thought was just incredible where he is breaking down because he wants to die. He wants to be put in the electric chair and this guard is fighting against having him killed. But mm-hmm. James Woods' character, Carl Pendrick, he wants to die. He wants the chair. Yeah, and he wants real. this release. right? Yep. And the scene where he's like shouting at this guard that he doesn't want to be alive. And he has this one second where his voice breaks and he almost cries. Mm-hmm. And it's like, fuck me you are such a good actor why do you have to be a piece of shit <laughs> right the problem is if they would have electrocuted him he would have become horace pinker and it would have yeah. been a way different movie <laughs> yeah. you guys true. know way too many serial killers horace pinker is from shocker <laughs> a, he's not a real serial killer <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's mitch pelleggi yes <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've I've seriously got to drag this Dickie Roberts bit out because it's okay. Know... I've got, I've got a few. You know, we've not I've, I've not even spoken about the ones which I've got yet. So yeah, okay. throw it. yours in the mix. Throw your four in the mix before I jump into this. Uh, well, okay. Well, I mentioned waiting for Guffman earlier. Yes, brilliant I movie. Saw that, I saw that again recently. Much better than my stuff. Yep. Um, I'm not sure what kind of level it is, but I did mention that uh, the other day I watched Lightning Jack. Oh, for fuck's Again, sake, Steve. <laughs> Paul Hogan, Beverly D'Angelo, and uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. prior to his uh, his Oscar win for Jerry Maguire. I I like this movie. I, I put this movie on simply because I'd seen it before and it was it was kind of like what you were doing. It was wallpaper. Yeah. You know, I can't remember why. I think I usually put stuff on while I'm gaming. So I had that on in the background and... Uh, it, it's one of those movies which I, I just I don't really have anything against it. It's not a brilliant film, but it's got some fairly nice set pieces. You know, it, it's got definitely got the old Western vibe down pat. So, you know, I've got no problem with that particular film. I know you do, because as soon as I mentioned it, you were just like, oh, God, you've not got anything bad to watch. <laughs> Lightning fucking jerk. Yeah. Um. <laughs> So then after that, a um, couple of rewatches. Uh Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. Oh, no, we'll give it that. Rewatched that again recently. I, I really like that film. I know it's massively apocryphal in in the way that it deals it's with full of lies. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's a it's a wallpaper of lies. Um timeline but, um... shifting, complete manufactured bullshittery. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great but, movie, um... but it it's, it's it really a great is movie, but it's yeah, that's you know if, that was its if biggest you, sin. If you come into it as any kind of record of the actual events that took place in the daily life of the band Queen, and in particular Freddie Mercury, then look somewhere else. It it just plays fast and loose with pretty much every single major moment that the band go through. But the they performances enti- are spot on. They made up an entire character, which one? An entire person. The one that uh, the fucking dude um, that was Freddie Mercury's uh, live-in boyfriend guy, 
Uh, oh, um, the the Irish guy, Paul Paul Prentice. Yeah, yeah. They so they made up. They here a couple things they made up. So you know the guy uh, that was um, at the party with Freddie Mercury when he, he was going crazy. It was like his right hand man, like his yeah. his friend, his his uh, whatever you want to call him, his confidant. Mm-hmm. That guy didn't fucking exist. He was he literally was not a person in Freddie Mercury's life. They made him up completely to put in that storyline in the movie. And then also the his husband, the way that he met him, you know how he was talking about how he would go like he was going to door to door and like find like that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. All I bullshit. heard that he actually <laughs> met him in a bar or something similar as, as right. opposed to him tidying up his house. But yeah, then again, that was you know all bullshit. <laughs> You know, the Live it, I, Aid performance, the way they did the Live Aid performance, that's the part that's the most damning. That part was like, oh, dude, like the whole con, the, the actual story behind that's interesting. It's like, why did you have to do it that way? Yeah, but the, the actual the actual concert itself was great. It filmed that it was fantastically, awesome. yeah. almost shot for shot remake. And yeah. um, like I say, the performances, Remy Malik as Freddie Mercury was just, he, he deserved. Incredible. He deserved that. Um, next up, Hot Shots Part Deux. Part Deux. Part Deux, which is... Funny thing is, I'm having flashbacks now because every time you've been watching one of these movies, you've sent me, like, a picture. Look what I'm watching. Can you tell what it is? Yeah, I have been, actually, and I think I sent I think I think sent a picture Just to prove to that you... you watch movies. Yeah, I think yeah. I sent a picture to you about something, but then... I realized that I hadn't actually pressed send, so I was referring to something else, and you were just like, "What the hell? What does this mean?" I was I was actually sending Andrew Steven Seagal movie covers that looked like other better movies. <laughs> it's not I'm difficult. not lying. I'm I'm not it's lying. One of them literally looked like somebody was like, "Okay, we're gonna take Smoke and Aces, but we're gonna put Steven Seagal on it." Like it literally looked like a carbon fucking copy. I was like, "Really? Okay." <laughs> I mean, it's Steven Seagal. All these posters look like they belong to a much better film. Yeah, this one looked like Every Smoke and Aces one. for paid scale. Like that's what it looked like. It should have been <laughs> the movie was. Uh, but Hot Shots Part Two, it's uh, not involving David Zucker. No, you got that right this time. Yep, I love the fact um, that David Zucker on the show, and you're saying when you've done these movies like Airplane and Hot Shots, and I'm there like. Dude, he never fucking did hot shots. And good I know. old David Zucker went with it. He was like, oh, I fine. know. Bless him. <laughs> Where's my um, check? But yeah, it's a great film. It's a fantastic spoof. And even though, you know, the uh, the Zuckers weren't involved, it, it's just an absolute riot from start to finish. I love that film. Uh, and finally, Watchmen, which I hadn't seen Brilliant. in absolutely oh, yeah. ages. Um, but more to the point, it was Watchmen the Ultimate Edition, which oh, yeah. is the, the only version you should watch. Yeah, the yeah. very first time I've actually seen it. I've, I've With seen... the animated Tales of the Black Freighter. Yeah, I'd seen it. Tales from the Black Freighter separately. I had that on DVD because in, in the UK, at least, you only had the standard edition and the extended cut were released. Whereas in the US, you had those two and the ultimate edition, which tied the tales of the black freighter in. So over here we had tales of the black freighter as a separate DVD release. Um, so yeah, this is the first time seeing the whole thing all the way through. And by God, I forgot how long that film was. Yeah, it's only like six and a half hours. Like, I know. <laughs> that's, that's an entire work shift. You yeah. Know? It, honestly, it's, it's a very long movie. It's a great movie though. It's a great I, movie. 
I think it is the probably the most accurate comic book adaptation that has ever been made. Uh, in terms of keeping so much of the story, yeah. the the original, the the shot for shots from the panels of the the comic, um, and I even like the way that they changed the end. So instead of it being spoilers, spoilers, uh, instead of it being a giant alien squid, it's um, the pinning the blame on Doctor Manhattan, which for some reason makes more sense uh, than having the it, having the big bad be Cthulhu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. You know, pin it on Doctor Manhattan. That way, everyone yeah. can turn on him, and then he goes. It makes makes more sense. But yeah, um, I did read a quote actually while I was looking up stuff about it, and it, apparently Christopher Nolan said that it, it was a movie that was made too soon, and I can honestly believe that. If yeah. the if it was released exactly how it is with the cast, the direction, and everything today. I think this would have been the perfect time for it and it would have been 10 times more respected than it actually was upon yeah. its original release in 2009. That's true. Uh, apart from Lightning Jack, all of your movies were on <laughs> a much higher plateau than the stuff that I was watching. Real, I... real, real quick before you get back into yours, Andrew, I watched a lot of good movies this last month, but I only had one that was super disappointing. So can I tell you guys that one specifically? Do, do. It was one that I had high hopes for because uh, of the inclusion of one of the actors who is somebody that I will follow to the grave. I will follow him to any movie that he does. And he kind of fucked me on this one, but I will, I will give him, I'll give him a pass. It's a movie called Mind Cage. <laughs> is this the Martin Lawrence movie? <laughs> yeah, it's the Martin Lawrence movie. And here's really? the thing. Martin Lawrence is not the one that does badly in the movie. Martin Lawrence does fucking fine. He just plays it as a straight-laced, you know, grizzled detective. It's Malkovich, isn't it? Yeah. Malkovich <laughs> could not give a fuck about being in this movie. Like, this movie was... This movie had all the pieces to be a really solid, even if direct-to-video, like, psychological thriller. All the pieces were there. John Malkovich, I've never seen him sleep through a part like he did in this like and it, he was a significant part too he was basically the Hannibal Lecter of the movie like and like he fucking tanked the movie like and I've never seen him do that I've seen him be in some shitty movies like I've for sure done he, he's done that and he's usually the standout I don't know why he didn't give a fuck about this movie, but like, I mean, honestly, his character wasn't that great, but even at that, he could have taken the shitty character and made it way better. But yo, <laughs> the fact that Martin Lawrence did better than John Malkovich makes me just go like, am I like asleep? Like this is a dream, right? Like, <laughs> um, cause that's, that's not a sentence that should exist in, in the English language. <laughs> There's no way. That uh, that that should be that Martin Lawrence outacted John Malkovich, like that is, ugh, that felt weird coming out of my face. Like I don't know how this <laughs> happened, um, but yeah, it was. I felt super bad. I think he must have just got been getting paid peanuts for that part or something because, yeah, it was it was sad because, like I said, he was in three quarters of that movie and, ugh. <laughs> just was not good running through uh we had one night at mccool's ah i remember that one <laughs> a movie which would have been better if Liv tyler was not 
the actress in that movie. I reckon yep. they should have just gone with somebody else. Uh, Woody Allen's The Curse of the Jade Scorpion. Oh, which shit. Was Woody Allen's most expensive movie. That's his highest budgeted movie. And he wasn't supposed to be the star of it. He was trying to get Jack Nicholson or you know, maybe someone like Paul Newman or someone like that. And no one could take it. So he decided to do it. So seeing him be the romantic interest for Helen Hunt is quite something to mm. behold. Um, speaking of dimension, cursed. <laughs> oh, yeah. cursed. Starring the Generation X crowd and probably, was it Jesse Eisenberg, Eisenstein, yeah. whatever Eisenberg. his name is. Eisenberg. Lex Luthor. Lex yes, Luthor. In, in one of his <laughs> earliest roles with Christina Ricci. Uh, the beautiful Judy Greer in one of the mm-hmm. most demeaning performances I think she's ever been in. Yep. Uh, Joshua Jackson, pretty much all of the kids of Generation X, the Dawson's yep. Creek crowd. Uh, in a movie about werewolves in Los Angeles, in Hollywood, around movie sets. But a movie that was 90% rebooted after the movie was shot. Yep. Where executives basically spun the movie around and said, uh, now we're going to completely change this, even though you've already shot and practically are ready to finish editing this movie together. Yeah. Now you, they, now you need to go reshoot a different they, they completely fucked over Wes Craven's movie. Like yes. it was not. And the most damning part of the whole thing is what they did to the werewolf transformation because they originally had Rick Baker. Yes. And Ooh. then the Weinsteins came in and they fired Rick Baker who was making an incredible transformation and they put it with this weird shitty iMovie CGI. Like it was the worst CGI tra- like uh, transformation, werewolf transformation I think I've ever seen. The Weinsteins and doing something horrible? They would they would never. Really? They would never. Okay, so okay, fair fair, they did rape this movie. All right, they did. Like so just saying like <laughs> Yeah, that was the big, that was the biggest uh, issue. Is the the visual effects were destroyed. And to be honest, uh, it's a very very bizarre movie. And the, the strange thing is, I watched this movie. I saw the end of it, and I'd only realized that I'd seen the end of it before when I was in LA once. And I think it was on Stars on one of the movie channels, and it was just on the TV as I was getting ready. And I was like, "What is this movie?" And um, yeah, it's it seemed interesting. And then I watched the entire thing. And then you kind of learn the history that uh, Dimension behind it, fucking Wes Craven over on his movie. And you're like, oh, this could have been yeah. something better. Mm-hmm. It's the bastard child of Wes Craven's career because it's the one that has, it's the one that has his name on it as the director. So he gets shit for it. Not like one of those stupid Wes Craven Presents movies. You know, like Wes Craven presents Dracula 2 or whatever the fuck. Mm. It wasn't one of those. It was one that actually said he directed it. And it's like, that ain't my movie. I didn't make that shit. <laughs> That's not at all. Uh, There's an Ava Mendes movie called Live, which had uh, a very, very interesting thing. Basically, it was about reality TV, and she was a producer for a TV network. And she comes out with this idea to have live Russian roulette show. And it's done very much like Series 7, The Contenders, with these um, six, obviously, because it's Russian roulette, six contestants from all different backgrounds. 
uh, coming on this show to play Russian roulette live. And obviously five of them walk away with money. One of them obviously gets their brains blown out. You've got Jeffrey Dean Morgan in there as one of them. And it's a huge, it's a very, actually pretty good satire on the, the mm. American reality TV side thing. And I was surprised that this was actually good. You know, and if you've seen series seven, the contenders, which was kind of similar where they're doing the reality manhunt style show where you've just basically yeah. got to go and kill these other people. And that's a pretty good movie as well. And this is kind of not an official follow on, but it's in that same vein. And I've got to admit the moments where they're doing the Russian roulette scenes on this show, where it's almost like a Britain's got talent style thing for someone blowing their brains out. Uh, the tension. It's it's actually um, the Great British Brain Off. Is actually what it is. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but I've got to admit the the tension in those scenes is so well done because um, no spoilers for people who will hunt this movie out. It was released in two thousand seven. <clears throat> um, it is played really really well leading up to it, and you never guess who the person is. It just comes out of the blue like a Russian roulette game would. Hmm. You know. Um, but it's it's something that I would recommend, Jonas. I think you'd actually like it. So I was uh, when you said the name and you said it was an Eva Mendez movie. I was very confused because I was pretty sure that I masturbated to every Eva Mendez movie. So like that one <laughs> escaped my left my mind. I was like, I don't remember that one at all. <laughs> well, now you've got one more. Yeah, um, two thousand and seven as well. That's a definite year, isn't it? That we keep <laughs> kind of circling back to that somehow. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, it's not certified fresh, so it's not in the box. Um, uh, there was a weird triple bill of Demi Moore movies. One called Passion of Mind, which was released direct to video here in the UK in the year 2000, uh, where she plays a character who has a life in the daytime. When she goes to sleep, she's got a life in another country. So she's like in France in during the daytime. And then when she goes to sleep at night, she's got a life in the US, in New York. And it's kind of this love story. She meets these two guys. One is Stellan Skateboard. Stellan Skarsgård himself. Got Skarsgård <laughs> in there. And the other is William Fichter, who you would never class as Ooh. being the hunky guy in a movie, but apparently he is in this movie. I fucking um, love William Fichter. Yeah. The yeah. movie had a great build-up. The ending is disappointing. Uh, the infamous Scarlet Letter. Mm, I remember that one. Which was one of the worst movies of the 1990s, apparently. Uh, but everyone is acting their ass off. Gary Oldman, Demi mm -hmm. Moore, Robert Duvall, and possibly the worst wig you will ever see Robert Duvall wear in a movie. Um, everybody, that movie made a lot of money because everybody assumed that that was going to be the movie that Demi Moore went nude in. So they were like, I'm going to see it. And they got out of the movie, they're like, ugh, it was terrible. Yes, just left. <laughs> we only saw one boob. <laughs> And some some weird slave chick who started masturbating with a candle. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> you know that says it all. Roland Joff, that's how he ended up with captivity. <laughs> um, and then the Jorah, which was another oh, yeah. Alec Baldwin movie, which yeah. was actually all right, but it's kind of like the the kind of legal thrillers that you'll see, like the Net Pelican Brief style that were all coming out. Yep. Uh, and then we will round off with the four movies that I have seen today. Uh, he Said, She Said, starring Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern from 1991. Interesting premise. It is all about a relationship 
kind of starting and breaking down, but from two different viewpoints. So halfway through the movie, you're, you're watching the movie and it's from Kevin Bacon's viewpoint. And then halfway through the movie, it switches to Elizabeth McGovern's viewpoint. And it's it's very well done because both stories are kind of different. And you've also got a, an early Sharon Stone appearance in there. Uh, also, we had... Fuck me. But there is, I needed to be in a certain frame of mind for today. So I had to watch three of the worst things I probably could have watched. And the first one was Arena. Arena was a movie where Samuel L. Jackson runs an illegal online fight to the death tournament, <laughs> keeping people prisoner, one of them being Kellen Lutz. Mm, from Hercules. From Hercules. <laughs> yeah, the legend of Hercules. The, this movie. The mountain of charisma that he is, yeah. Samuel L. Jackson must have had a weekend off and a lot of money to get. Um, He's done movie, a couple of those. <laughs> this movie is fucking atrocious. Worse, I, I will posit this to you, Steve. Seek this movie out because it is the only movie that is worse graphics than Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh, <laughs> now that's a no. bold statement. Worse. Worst thing I've ever seen uh, is one of the worst movies I think I've ever sat through whilst working. And Andrew, it... have you have you ever seen the Danzig's directorial debut, uh, Veronica? <laughs> Veronica. Oh, geez. have you seen that one? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, if you want to tell me that the titty spider is not the worst <laughs> CGI that you've ever seen in your life, and you want to tell me that Arena's worse, I'm going to call you a liar to your face right now. <laughs> okay. It could be equal. It could be equal. I'll give it yeah. that. Um, and then I had a Van Damme double bill. Oh, oh which I'm, I'm, I regretted. The first one was Derailed, a movie that even Van Damme says is the worst thing he has ever done. And oh. uh, it's it's pretty bad. I think I sent footage to both of you today. Yeah, you did. It the... looked like footage from a deleted scene from Under Siege. But yeah, much but... cheaper. Yeah, Under Siege too. The, se- yeah. the, the scenes of Van Damme on a scramble bike on top of a train. Hilarious. Are genius. I have to say they are so terribly done. This is Boaz Davidson of Millennium Films, of course. You know, it's going to be terrible. This is even more terrible. You know, and funny enough, this is a virus on a train movie as well. So it's a diehard virus on a train. And it's basically like the Cassandra Crossing, but with only Van Damme as the only person of note in the movie. I just uh, liked how when Van Damme came through the side of the window of the train, it was very much like, surprise, motherfucker. Like, straight up, <laughs> the way that he landed was just like, Wah! immediately into stance. It was like, God damn. Like, yeah, he should have done a split by the side of the window and broke it with his dick. He, yeah. <laughs> At this point, why not? <laughs> why not? And then it goes to uh, the last movie, which I watched uh, as we were setting up the show, uh, Van Damme in a movie called In Hell which is another Van Damme in prison movie that is a lot worse than Death Warrant. But uh, you have every kind of trope in there that you would see in a prison movie. And they're really trying. Ringo Lamb directed this, which is a damning thing for Ringo Lamb's career. But the only other name in there that I recognized straight away was Lawrence Taylor. 
from NFL. I kind of thought, did they save the money because he was already in prison <laughs> when they were uh-huh. making this movie? So, fantastic possibility. And also, you know what, Lawrence Taylor, I've only seen him in one other movie, and it was Any Given Sunday. Yeah, which he was great in. Yeah, he was awesome in that. But this is definitely like, uh, definitely post concussion Lawrence Taylor, like yeah. for sure. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that he was he was in his right mind doing that one. Also, can we all agree that every Jean Claude Van Damme movie would be infinitely better if at some point, randomly, just in any scene, he busted out in the blood sport dance or the kickboxer <laughs> dance or whatever it was? Yeah, yeah it's the kickboxer dance. Like if just right, like yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Like right, exactly, right in the middle of in hell, like everybody's all like sweaty and trying to survive, and he just busts out the kickboxer dance. Everybody's like, ah, fuck, all right, like yeah. Did you see two two, uh, two of the prisoners just near him just decide, you know, like the 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 prison bitches are just there going, ooh yeah, ooh. exactly, yeah, just bust out the kickboxer dance. Shortly after JCVD and when he was in Expendables two, we had the Van Damasons as we call it, there was a mm-hmm. period where Van Damme was coming like back and he was, he started doing this like good stuff and he wasn't taking himself so seriously anymore. And then he reappeared in, um, they did kickboxer movies. Yeah. Kickboxer retaliation and, and vengeance in vengeance. Right. Yeah. And in the post credit scene, right, the cast do the kickboxer dance. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Just Talk to about- rip the piss out of him further. And Van Damme does not take part in those dances. Dude. It's just the other cast members ripping on the dance. It's like, what a weird miscast. Not, I wouldn't even call it a miscast because of what that movie was, but what a weird change up in casting of having the original dude who played Tong Po having it be Dave Batista in this one. Like, that was fucking weird because I was like, I like I know that Dave Batista is a professional wrestler, but a kickboxer, he is not. Like, <laughs> that is not the case. Um, but real quick before you wrap that up, I want to touch on two things about Jean-Claude Van Damme. First off, if anybody has not seen JCVD, holy shit, is oh, it yeah. good. It is so good. And it's but, also, but also, Jean-Claude Van Damme got certifiably fucked by Amazon because Jean-Claude Van Johnson is one of the funniest Hilarious. series that I have ever seen of a person who just knows what his career is at, like knows the point. And he's just like, fuck it. We don't have to take this seriously at all. And then he, and it is magic. Like it works so good. It is. Like I've got to admit, I, I instantly wanted more as soon as I saw that series. Um, instantly. But he was so brilliant. He's the best person I've ever seen sending themselves up. Yeah, when he goes undercover and he still starts talking about how awesome Time Cop is (laughs) to every single person he meets, and when he goes to do the splits and he can only get halfway there, and you can like hear his groin tearing, and it's just like, and he keeps trying to push it, but like one of the best parts in it is when he's in that restaurant in Brooklyn or whatever it is where it's called Dry, and they just give you a brick of dry ramen, and he keeps on being like, "Can you give me some water?" They're like, "Nah, dude." We're called dry. That's what we do. And he's like, yeah, but I, I need water for this. And he's like, wait a minute. Are you that guy? You're here for a movie, blah, blah, blah. And then Jean-Claude Van, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme goes, no, dude, I'm not Nicolas Cage. And then he goes, ugh, I thought you were Nicolas Cage. And then he just walks <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. As if, like, I don't give a shit about you. I thought you were Nicolas Cage. Ugh. 
Come, come on, Amazon. We need another series of Jean-Claude Van Jensen. Yes. It's the, one of the best shows season, you've had. Season two, for sure. It was so good. Have you seen that yet, Steve? No, I haven't. Um, oh, and speaking watch of it. JC, JCVD, um, that came out around about 2009, I want to say. Um, I, I bought the DVD when I was uh, performing in Edinburgh, uh, but I never got around to actually watching it. It, it just languished in my my DVD stand for ages, and then I ended up selling it off because I was oh. just having a clear out. So no, I really it's worth actually. I think movie. it's worth a lot of money now too. I think you, I think you kind of fucked yourself on that one. Oh <laughs> god, no! <laughs> it's in the box though, Steve. You will oh, get to so it eventually. Good. It's no, so good. Um. Oh, right. Speak, I guess speaking of what's in the box, it's that point oh. of the show. It is, uh, but before we before we hop onto what's in the box, there's just one thing that I would like to go over. Um, I posed a question to the the fine people of Reddit and Twitter, and Twitter oh, wasn't interested. Yes, but uh, the redditors out there properly came together. the 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 thing was, um, I watched Ghostbusters again recently because it is one of my all time favorite movies. And when I was a kid, I hated Walter Peck. I hated what he's the way that he was trying to bring the Ghostbusters down and the fact that he was just being the bad guy in it all. And then as you got older, I started to think, well, no, he's actually got a point. And Venkman, he's a bit of a dick to him, to put it bluntly. Um, and I posed the question on Reddit what kind of bad guys from movies that you saw when you were younger? do you now side with as you've gotten older and i've had i've had just tons and tons thousands literally thousands of responses from the people of reddit so there's only a few that i'm going to go over and i'm just going to touch on them um very very quickly uh so uh, multiple people have said uh, the principal uh in ferris bueller um who I I can't remember his uh, his character's Jeffrey name Jeffrey jo- well Jeffrey Jones yeah but I can't remember He's the character's there, yeah. name yeah we're not going to talk about Jeffrey Jones <laughs> we I'll do not side idea. we do not would side with the real villain Jeffrey Jones <laughs> no <laughs> no we definitely do not God that was that was such a pity if you don't know what I'm talking about mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah thank you that was lucky that is a sad um, Google search <laughs> very <laughs> much. That was exactly what got him into trouble. Multiple people said the the psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon as well, who are basically saying, "No, Riggs is unhinged. Yes, he needs to be looked after." Johnson's um, wife at the time. Oh, was it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, okay. That's why she was in Die Hard as the pretty much the same character. All oh, right, I did not know that. Ooh. Um, next up, Johnny Lawrence in the Karate Kid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fully redeemed nowadays with Cobra. Yeah, nowadays with Cobra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we've got a, a few little specific ones. Uh, a guy called Seabass817 said, Every police captain in every 80s movie ever. <laughs> you can't say that about Captain Harris. <laughs> no, Captain basically. Harris was the you star know. of those movies. Oh, no, Captain Harris, that's a different one. We're talking like, Are you- Nye, you're a loose cannon. You so know. basically, every role that Frank McRae played yeah. <laughs> in the 80s, in 48 Hours, and Last Action Hero. And... Exactly. 
anything that could be an irascible police chief with a cigar hanging out his face. Unloaded like, twenty-four one. hours. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, every we, uh, every person that may or may not be Dennis Franz. <laughs> yes. God, Dennis Franz. Love Dennis Franz. He's so much. Uh, we've got Astro Otter said Dean Wormer in Animal House. Okay, yeah. That yeah. was um Oh shit, what was his name? John Vernon? Yeah. John Vernon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he just wants the he just wants a decent campus. He wants the the riotous house to just calm itself down and get thrown out. Um Miranda aka Sally Field in uh, Mrs. Doubtfire was uh, selection by Jonas Chimp. She's got a point. He's got a yeah. point. They've got a point. Well, guess what, Jonas? This Jonas agrees. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, she's she's trying to keep a house together and look after three kids, and then all of a sudden, she's got a fourth kid wrecking the place. And then he goes on to do something which, as face facts, would get him sectioned. Um, <laughs> oh God, Elm Elmatud Elmatador, and this one I definitely do agree with. Baby's father in Dirty Dancing. Yeah. No one puts baby in a corner. Yeah, she's underage. Yeah, he seems Patrick right Swayze. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. God damn it. Um, what else have we got here? Magneto in X Men that came up a few times. Okay. Um, then we've got Lamb Chop six nine eight eight. So the hotel manager in Home Alone two. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, you've got a child there with a credit card and messing about the place. Fucking yeah. shit up in your in your uh in your extremely expensive hotel. Sure. That you yeah. also let Donald Trump in. Yeah, I True. can see that. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Multiple people said Thanos, but I completely disregarding that because this is supposed to be stuff from your childhood that you now agree with. Um Chris Jeez, Hawk how young's said... our audience? God, I don't know. <laughs> uh, a guy called Chris Hawk said uh, Roy Batty from Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Rutger Hauer. I've got to agree with that one because if you uh-huh. thought that you were going to have any kind of chance of being able to extend your life, wouldn't you want to try and take it? Yeah. I think you would. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. that's okay. I think that's redeemable. Yeah. Um, I should say well, a few more. That got a couple that we got. Uh, Jay Depriel seventy three said the scientists in ET, the government. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the, the ET yeah. could have been carrying any kind of pathogen or whatever. And uh, what can we finish on here? I have one to throw at you, uh, real quick. Go on. Um, I can't remember the character's name, but Michael Keaton in Desperate Measures. Yes, that's actually a good one. Yeah, I think Michael Keaton in Desperate Measures is a very redeemable bad guy um, or antagonist or whatever you want to call him because he was perfectly willing to save the life of that kid. He just didn't want to fucking be in jail anymore. Like, he just like, it's like, yeah, I'll save this kid's life, but get me the fuck out of here. Like, it's just really what his motive was. And I can definitely, I can definitely, really, yeah, jail probably sucks. And also, you're going to save this kid's life? Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Go, live your life. <laughs> uh, finally, I'm going to go with uh, Raging Bull Psycho. We said Shoot McGavin. From- oh, yes. <laughs> the legendary. Yeah, Shoot Happy McGavin. Gilmore. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one to know because uh, I recently bought Bill a T-shirt and had it sent to him, and I would not tell him. So just wait until it shows up. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but uh, I've just got you a gift and sent it over to him. And it's a Shooter McGavin T-shirt. Nice. <laughs> that he was just like, he's the man. <laughs> so he's he's very happy with his Shooter McGavin T-shirt. So I'm looking <clears> forward <throat> to seeing him wear it. Uh, well, well, with that in mind, before we go on to what's in the box proper, I just want to thank everyone at Reddit for taking part in that. We've got yes, thank you, several, several thousand responses. So yay. We'll have to think yeah. of something else to try and top that one next time. Definitely. But we will uh, we will throw one out on uh, over the course of the next week. We expect some really good responses, and we'll read them out on our show next week. Yes. Okay. Uh, what's in the box? All right, Steve. Uh, I've got to talk about this, dude. Right. We're, we're, I can't do this rotten shit anymore. I really can't do it. I, I've, we've done it now for so long. I don't see an end to it coming if we keep on it. The whole point of what's in the box was for you, the everyman, to look at these critically acclaimed films, uh, either disagree or agree. And there's no fun in just watching universally fucking hated movies <laughs> yeah well at least you giving <laughs> because me questions everybody like, knows their shit what is tom um, cruise's real name no i don't know tom cruise's real name no one knows tom cruise's uh, real name i bet he doesn't tom even Hanks. know his crew name <laughs> i know that's the level tom, that we're working tom cruise's with. real name is locked in a safe deposit box on the top floor of the church of scientology building yeah that's what it is <laughs> it's tattooed on david miscavige's um inner thigh yeah. <laughs> His actual real name is Les Grossman, so that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so listen, we've got to go back to the fresh, okay? We we have to do. It. I'm making executive decision. It was you don't my have a question, to, do you? I I do have a question. I have a whole card full of questions, but I can, I just can't do it anymore. I cannot do the rotten movies <laughs> because I'm besieged by rotten movies at the moment, and I want to talk something that is actually good. In the eyes of some, so go back into the box. Yeah, well, Expl you're diving into the, the box. You know, you're saying, "Oh, I can't do it anymore." You, the last time we did the box, you were only pulling out all that before sunset bullshit. So, yeah, that happened once, and then I recommended that you watch the sequel afterwards. That mm. only happened once, and the only other time we've done. Something like that was when you got Flags of Our Fathers and I said you had to watch Letters from Iwo Jima after it. Yeah, to be because fair, though, I did, it, I did space, enjoy those. If you put um, the space between them, the impact is lost. Yes. So, no, I'll give you that. Flags of Our Fathers and um, Letters from Iwo Jima. Definitely recommend the, that you watch them. Uh, but the rules for what's in the box are very simple. Andy's going to pull out the name of a film from a box. In this case, it's going to be Certified Fresh. On Rotten Tomatoes. Now, if I have seen the movie, then he's going to keep pulling out names of movies until we find one that I haven't seen, and then I go away and watch it before we record the next episode. Um, so, Andrew, yes. what do we have? Actually, show me the box, because I've never actually seen the box. No, you can basically live with it. The yeah, box is too freaking heavy. I don't it's... even think that there is a box i think you're you're lying there's a hat or something it's the same box from the james marsden movie called the box you would actually you would actually <laughs> believe 
that I would actually have a hat, what, like a top hat, pull a rabbit out of it. I, I believe it, yeah. It's got a flat cap or something, I don't know. I've got a flat cap. So your movie is... Such a tiny piece of paper. Flushed away. I've Oh, no, I've seen that one. I like that one. Oh, I've seen it. Okay. I've seen that one. Right. The most that we've got to is three. Uh-huh. This is true. Yeah. This is true. Next. It's Toy Story. And I know you've seen Toy Story. <sighs> yeah, I saw that at the cinema. Two animated films. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's... Have you seen all two. of the Toy Story films? Yes. I've not seen Lightyear. No, I've not seen that either. But the, last Toy Story, the last Toy Story movie was fucking weird. Yeah, it was. It felt just like such an unnecessary sequel. I walked out of it and I was like, was Woody trying to fuck Bo Peep the whole time or was that just me? And everybody was like, no, it wasn't just you. I was like, all right, no. it was a weird movie. <laughs> next movie Get is... your sheep out there. <laughs> okay, the next movie is Rain Man. Yeah, I've seen that. Oh shit, three in a row. We're up to three. Oh, we hit three. Holy oh, shit. Oh, will we have four or will I have oh oh Steve, do you just not watch bad movies? Is that what it is? No, I watch a lot of bad movies. I really <laughs> do. Oh we could uh you might break the four oh. here. This is this could be a record. If you have not seen the original. Rocky. Oh, no, I haven't. <gasps> oh, you haven't so seen the to... OG? Wow. No, I have not. As a matter of fact, I've not seen any of them. Haven't you? No, I've never so. seen a Rocky movie? No. I've, <laughs> this it, is the it, I've, I've seen like I was so sure from you... four and stuff, but no. I was so sure you were going to break the four. I thought, he's got to have seen Rocky. Everyone I know has seen Rocky. You I have know, not dude, seen I know. I know babies that have seen Rocky. Like, <laughs> no man. Well, to be honest, yeah, there it is. You know, the movie that blasted uh, sliced alone into superstardom. That ties in really well, guys, because Creed three is it Creed three? Creed three yeah. is coming up soon. It's coming oh, yeah. out soon. Yeah, yeah that's true. coming out in February. Okay, so yeah. Rocky, I believe that's nineteen seventy six. I think uh, it's a classic. It really is. It's, it is right up there in the pantheon of greatest movies ever. So it's going to be interesting to see your take on it. Rocky I is such do... a cool franchise because you get to see the entire trajectory, cinematic trajectory of CTE just happen the whole time throughout <laughs> all of the movies. <laughs> What's CTE? That is con- basically it's post concussion syndrome. So by the time you get to ah. the fifth movie, he's just fighting people in the streets and shit. It's just like, all right, Rocky has Rocky is not here anymore. <laughs> I do know that they they did a version of uh, it was a boxing game that came out around about two thousand three two thousand four on the GameCube and the Xbox oh, yeah. and so on. That was great. It was a fun. I game. remember. It. Yeah, that that's some really really nice mechanics. I played that, not seen the film. So okay, nope. let's <laughs> rectify that next time we uh, we meet. Okay, ding ding, the match is on next week. Uh, it's Rocky versus Apollo versus Steve Hester's opinion. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, what you made of it. Now, we always say with these things, do you have to kind of watch these movies in the bubble of the time that they were made? Or are you kind of judging them on how they hold up now? Personally, I'm judging them on how they actually 
how how I receive them now, more or less. Okay. Because I'm I, I'm watching them now for the first time. So yeah, it could be something that was made during the seventies, but then again, I wasn't even born during the seventies. Well, not until the very very end of the seventies, at least. Um, so stuff like that is it, it doesn't mean anything to me. I can't really relate to that time period. So I just view them as now. Okay. Right. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in this week. It's been a bit of a marathon one because obviously I watched way too many movies in my last two weeks while I've been trying to keep my head above water and work. Uh, we've got to thank the returning Jonas for the first time this year. Thank you guys for having me. And I'll, you, I'll, be, I'll come back anytime you guys want. You are always welcome, Jonas. We love having you on. Love hearing uh, your opinion because you've got some absolutely fantastic takes. Well, I appreciate you guys, man. I love doing this show. This is this is one of those shows that I love just bullshitting about movies. You know, like it's fun. Like it, it's legitimately fun. So I like what you guys do. Well, you never know at this rate, mate. We may be asking you to come on for the Valentine's Day special, <laughs> which is already looking like it is going to be freaking pandemonium. Beautiful, yeah, especially for me and Steve, who have to get up at three in the morning to record it. <laughs> Dude, I'm down for some Valentine's chaos. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually mean, may I actually may watch the movie Valentine tonight because I'm looking at it on my Blu-ray shelf and I'm like, it's actually a good slasher. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> is it the 3D version? No, no, that's my bloody Valentine. This is the oh, one that right. came out right around the same time as like Urban Legend and all those. Um, oh, okay. And it's actually it's a solid slasher. Yeah, you should just watch this really terrible. From what I can tell, British slasher movie called Slaughter High. Oh, I fucking love Slaughter High. It's terrible. It's and I love terrible. It. <laughs> it is shockingly bad. Yeah, yeah. It's pure shit. And it's and it's great because of that. It's <laughs> and yeah. the music is incredibly shit. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolute garbage. <laughs> yeah. That's a movie you should put on, Steve, if you just want to die laughing. Uh, how seriously these people are trying to make this horror movie oh and and this movie should not be serious at all and they're just <laughs> trying so hard i i think i think i've heard of this one is it is this one where it's like an april fools kind of killer? similar right april okay. fools ish it's it's more of like a uh it's more of like a trick all these students into coming back to the high school uh, for a night of whatever and oops gonna kill you all <laughs> like it just it's it's I, so I bad of this one yes yeah, it's <laughs> so bad and so fun yeah. anyway uh we're gonna wrap it up uh we have gone over thank you for watching this bumper episode thank you to all our people on reddit as well that is absolutely amazing thank you for your support and joining in uh we're gonna make that a regular feature with steve so he will be yes. helping out the questions to you and uh, we want your hot takes. We want to hear uh, the results of what you think. Yes, yes, we are. Uh, so if you are listening to this, because I will be putting the link, um, links all on Reddit. Uh, if you are listening to this and you were mentioned in the show, well, 
Thank you very much for contributing. Thank you very much. If you weren't mentioned in the show, uh, don't forget you can join us on the uh, subreddit, which is r slash bodywood. Um, if you're not on Reddit, then you can join us on facebook.com forward slash bodywood. You can get us on Twitter at bodywood. You can find us on LinkedIn, where we are under the municipal garbage removal section. Um <laughs> But uh, you can find us on everywhere. And even if that you don't have anything to actually contribute, if you want to comment on anything that we've talked about tonight or in the future, then just do so. Get in contact with us. We like that kind of stuff. We like yes. interacting with the fans. Um, for now, though, it is a big thank you and a big goodbye to our special guest, Jonas Barnes. Thank you guys again. Um, if uh, Just real quick, if anybody's into horror, go find me on Twitter. It's uh, Twitter or Instagram. It's AGHP666. That's my my horror show. So if you guys like horror, go find me there. Yes, and another goddamn horror podcast is absolutely incredible, as well as the Tromedy Hour. All mm-hmm. these shows, yeah, you've got to check out. They are great. The Tromedy Hour is going to be having a really cool new episode coming out pretty soon with uh, Food Network store Monte Carlo. Uh, she's a uh, uh, former comedian um she i think she won the first um the first uh season of the next food network star and she's fucking blown up since then she's awesome friend of mine for a long time and she has a really uh she has a hell of an episode um about uh her upbringing so that's gonna be coming out soon yeah I- i'm dying to get walker hayes on the show actually i've seen walker's aw- yeah walker's awesome yeah, I want to. I want to get an invite out. So if you end up talking to her soon, say I'll probably reach out for an invite, and I'm not some weird stalker. Oh yeah, yeah. No, she uh, she would have a lot of fun on the show. She's fantastic. Well, maybe we bring you. Both I am together. a weird stalker though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my name it. is Steve. We'll do it. We'll do a he said he said she said episode, and we'll bring you and Walker on and just shoot the shit for a while oh yeah dude. i do that in a heartbeat uh walker is one of my top people absolutely love her cool all right then guys thank you yes see you again soon we'll see you soon <laughs> good goodbye from paul <laughs> <laughs> goodbye from mr verhoeven yeah <laughs> i didn't even know i was here the whole time <laughs> no I, I was lurking about yeah <laughs> just doing things in the background <laughs> It's okay. It's just a little ultraviolet and nudity. It's fine, you know. <laughs> Everybody's been dancing. <laughs> Groovy funky one. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. It's bye for now. Bye. <laughs>